Thank you for joining us for this segment of Witham Sounding Board, practical audio-based information for today's on-the-go professional, a production of Witham Smith & Brown, PC. I'm Dave Daisy with Witham's Employee Benefit Plan Services Group, and joining me today is Mike Kulik, one of the leaders of Witham's Employee Benefit Plan Services Group. Thanks for joining me today, Mike, for today's podcast. We're going to be discussing data mining form 5500, a new regulatory development in the world of employee benefit plans that should cause plan sponsors to take notice. Thanks for having me today, Dave, and I'm looking forward to walking through this topic with you. This is a topic affecting virtually all large retirement plans, and it really hasn't gotten a lot of press. What exactly is the data mining initiative for Form 5500? Yeah, you're right, Dave. You know, everyone's heard about big data and analytics, but surprisingly, there hasn't been much talk about how it's being applied by the DOL, and particularly in use with Form 5500. So I think it, it makes a little bit of sense to at least get a little bit of background in, in how the DOL is doing this. And it really started all back in 2009, where the uh, DOL created an electronic database where all the Form 5500s were filed. You know, back in 2009, they created this eFAST2 database, and since then, for all plan years, I think beginning after uh, January 1st, 2010, they've been required to be filed on this electronic database. So all the information in your 5500 is then included up here, and it's searchable by the DOL or you know anyone else who has access to that information. So we have one giant 5500 database that's been around since the beginning of 2010 and it easily accesses information for thousands and thousands of retirement plans, and there's specific data mining techniques that the Department of Labor is utilizing and that's at their fingertips. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, you know, really where this becomes a, a real benefit for the DOL is with large plan filers. And when I say large plan sponsors, I'm talking about plans that have over 120 participants, and they're required to attach audited financial statements to those Form 5500 filings. So really what that does, is it gives the DOL the ability to cross-reference the information in the audited financial statements with that that's been filed in the 5500, which is really a powerful tool if they're looking for inconsistencies or certain items that they expect to be reported on the 5500, cross-reference that to make sure that it's in the financial statements as well. So I guess a really important message point from this whole data mining initiative is plan fiduciaries better start watching out because the actions of what they put in their Form 5500 and in their audited financial statements are really on public display for everybody to see. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. And, you know, when we talk about them stepping up these DOL initiatives, I mean, it's a real thing. I mean, you go back to 2013, the DOL at that point hired over 1,000 new employees specifically tasked with this uh, issue of enforcement. So, you know, they're getting keyed up on how to use these data analytics. They're out there, and they're taking a harder look at this right now. That's, it's interesting. You know, Mike, let's, let's talk about some of the DOL initiatives. What are you currently seeing out there? Um, you know what? There's a number of them out there. And it's an interesting question because I can't say for sure exactly what they're doing, but we have some conversations with people within the DOL. We, are, we know they are data mining. Um, so a lot of it at this point is speculation, but it's all within the realm of what they can certainly do. So a couple of the areas where, you know, if I was sitting in that seat right now, which is really easy to do, is and I'd be taking a look at auditor qualifications and licensing. I'd be looking at the Schedule C for fee reasonableness, plan compliance, issues and breaches of fiduciary duty. They can all be, insights into all these areas can be gleaned from taking a look at various different components of the 5500. You know, and you said some of this is speculation, but some of it's not. 
there are actually initiatives that the DOL is currently doing, and I, and I know some of those exist in the auditor qualification and licensing arena. Maybe you could talk for a second about what's going on there. Yeah, no, that's a good point. When I, when I say some of it's speculation, because the DOL has come forward and they, they said that they are doing this. And, you know, one area is with that auditor qualifications. And where it's interesting, it's not just the DOL alone doing this. They're also working in conjunction with the AICPA. So, for example, on the Schedule H of the 5500, plan sponsor has to list the plan auditor. Then in the financial statements that are attached to that Form 5500, the auditor is listed there along with their address and state of residence. So that auditor who's taking a look at the financial statements that are attached to 5500 needs to be licensed in the state where they're performing that audit. So it's a pretty easy thing with these data analytics for the DOL to go in, cross-reference that auditor's name to their state and make sure that they're licensed in that state. If they're not licensed, they could go back, throw out that audit, and then force that plan sponsor to go back and get the plan re-audited. You know, and that's really interesting because we were actually the recipient of a new plan where the auditor wasn't even licensed, and that's what they did. They did a matching of the address on Form 5500 with the auditor who was auditing that plan and working with the National Accountancy State Board, matched back and forth, determined that that audit firm wasn't licensed, and, and the DOL said, you have to get another audit, and we were hired yeah. as, as a result of that. That's it. I mean, it's real. They're, they're out there, they're looking at it, and luckily, you know, we were a beneficiary of something like that. Let's talk about something a little bit more basic. Uh, maybe maybe you can explain the 8120 rule and, and how Form 5500 can identify that real quick. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, as most people know, the 8120 rule, what that means is that after a plan reaches 120 participants, they're required to have an audit of the financial statements attached to the 5500. And, you know, that, that makes them one of those large plan sponsors that we were talking about a little bit earlier. So if you take a look at Form 5500, right on page 2, you have to list the number of participants in a plan. So think about it this way. The DOL is now using these data mining techniques. They can go in, take a look at that Form 5500, throw right to the line on page 2 where it says participants at the beginning of the year. If that number is over 120, the expectation is that they're going to have audited financial statements attached. If they're not there, that's an automatic red flag that goes up, and they can be taking a look at that particular plan sponsor. So essentially, the Department of Labor has an algorithm, uh, a routine that searches this out and comes up with 100% exceptions exactly. on those plans that don't attach more to the financial statements. Yeah, 100%. That's interesting. So we talked about that. We talked about licensing. I know there's some new initiatives in the world of peer review. Maybe you could talk about that for a second. Sure. As far as peer review goes, if you're an audit firm and you're doing audits of employee benefit plans, you're required to be peer reviewed. So another area that the DOL is working with, and they're working with the AICPA here, is to take a look and matching the auditor who is assigned on Schedule H of the Form 5500, also the firm that's signing the audit report that's attached to the 5500, and making sure that firm has been peer reviewed and they're in fact qualified to be doing audits of employee benefit plans. Now, as we talked about, you know, DOL initiatives and enforcement, one of the areas that they're really looking for is what they have termed dabblers, which is firms that are just doing one or two one-off audit reports of these employee benefit plans, and they're really not qualified to be doing so, so they may not be doing a quality audit. And that's just another trigger, an area where the DOL can take a look and mean from doing this data mining. You know, speaking of the world peer review, Mike, you, you mentioned the concept of a dabbler. 
You know, I think the AICPA refers to it as as low volume auditors of high risk engagements, mm -hmm. and they do consider ERISA engagements to be high risk because of their regulatory impl implications. Perhaps you can maybe talk about some of the AICPA initiatives in that regard as it relates to these low volume auditors on high risk engagements. Sure. So, you know, the ASPA is taking a harder look at these sablers, if you will, and seeing what the quality of their audits really are. So when they go in for the peer review process, they're taking a look to make sure that all the required audit procedures are being performed, also that they're using the proper audit report. And really, if they find some issues here, what they can do is engage a third party to perform a pre-issuance or a post-issuance review of engagements in the future. They could have these firms periodically report to the report acceptance body and really just all do this as a condition of accepting peer review because obviously all these firms need to be peer reviewed if they want to continue auditing these plans. Because it's an actual licensing requirement, they have to have a peer review to keep their license set. So this does have some teeth. Oh yeah, absolutely it does. Okay, interesting. Hey, let's change gears for a second. Let's let's talk about fees. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is somewhat speculation, but what is the DLL doing with respect to Form 5500 and with respect to fees? Sure. So, you know, with respect to fees, obviously they're narrowing in down on Schedule C of the Form 5500. You know, there's a number of different questions that are asked within Schedule C that, you know, could trigger some additional follow-up or inquiries from the DOL. For example, on Schedule C, there's a question that asks if the plan sponsor is exclusive a person because they received only indirect compensation? Well, if that box is checked yes, you know, there should be additional information that's provided and the DOL could look into that person to see if they really received eligible compensation or not. So this is really a high-level look from the DOL's perspective, which they can reduce to an algorithm oh, uh, to, to identify whether a plan's got appropriate processes. If, if, they, if they check yes to that question, there better be more information in subsequent sections of the Schedule C, otherwise it speaks to whether they really have an appropriate process in place. Right, because the controls could be faulty there and they're missing the, the appropriate response and if the subsequent information is not attached, these algorithms, you know, they'll, they'll identify which box is checked and they'll be searching for that additional information. What about prohibited transactions? I know there's different questions that are asked on Schedule C. Maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, I think uh, you're probably referring to question two on Schedule C, which asks if the person's receiving direct or indirect compensation is an employee or an employer or another party in interest. So if that box is flagged or checked, it could be indicative that there's a prohibitive transaction there because the plan is receiving compensation or giving compensation to an employer or an employee. That is typically a sign there's a potential prohibited transaction. So going back to your point of these different algorithms that the DOL can run, they'll search down onto that you know question on Schedule C and see if that box is checked and do the appropriate follow-ups. And one that I really find interesting is there's a question in Schedule C for service providers who refuse to provide information. Maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, one. I mean, if, if that box is checked, Dave, I mean, that, that's clearly a, a tremendous red flag there. I mean, it raises a lot of questions. You know, why would the sponsor even want to be working with a service provider that's not providing this type of information? And, you know, if they are, then it really could infer, you know, a lack of fiduciary review or plan governance, which is a sticking point, as you know, right now, and something that all these plan sponsors should really take the responsibility for and, and take seriously. So our, our time together is starting to come to a close, Mike. Maybe we could finish up with just a couple of examples of things that the Department of Labor can learn pretty quickly in the area of fiduciary compliance. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, Dave, when they're looking at fiduciary compliance, a lot of the 
areas where the DOL is going to be focusing in on is really on Schedule H and Part 4 specifically of the Schedule H where they ask a, a series of questions. And what makes this really so compelling is that the DOL has the ability to cross-reference the information that's in the financial statements to the responses that are on the questions in Schedule H Part 4. So for example, if they wanted to take a look for timeliness of contributions, they could run a scan through the financial statements to see if there's a, a footnote in there that indicates late contributions. You know, if there was, there should be, those contributions should have been made up, interest should have been paid, and certainly that box on Schedule H of the 5500 should have been checked indicating that there were late contributions. To the same extent, they could run a search through those audited financial statements that are attached and look for the word forfeitures. So if the plan has forfeitures, they should be used within one year. So if the DOL ever did take the enforcement to the next level and, and really take a look at this, this is another area where they'd have in the back of their mind to look down to further enhance their enforcement efforts. You know, this is really a very interesting topic, and we could probably talk about this for hours, because we've only kind of scratched the surface here, if you think about it. We've we talked about it from the perspective of what the Department of Labor has in place, but there's other organizations out there, too, that can mine Form 5500 database just as easily as the DOL can, as long as they have the information. Yeah, it's public information, ex exactly right. So uh, you know, I, I know we're running out of time, but just one last question. How does our audience learn more about this? Is there anything available on Witham.com? Glad you asked, Dave, because I'm actually in the process right now of uh, drafting up an article on just what we've been speaking about today. You know, it'll be posted to Witham.com in the near future, so if anyone's interested or like to learn a little bit more, please go to Witham.com. Well, I'm sure you're going to get some hits in that regard, Mike, because this is truly a fascinating topic. You know, thanks for sharing your time with us today. It, it is greatly appreciated. Thanks, Dave. You've been listening to Witham Sounding Board, practical audio-based information for today's on-the-go professional. How can Witham help put you in a position of strength? Contact us with your feedback or suggestions for future podcast topics. Visit www.witham.com for additional information, send an email to info at witham.com, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at WithamCPA. Thank you for listening.